Greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. We're up to Judges. I, we covered 14 last week. I just want to go back and pick up a couple of verses from what we covered last week, and then we'll cover God willing. Verse, chapters 15 and 16 this week. Uh, thank you for coming. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then let's get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, pause, as we always do, uh, to acknowledge you and to thank you. Uh, the world is unraveling very, very quickly. Everybody knows it, Father. But we know something that most don't. Uh, by your grace, by your mercy, we know that your word is truth and that it's a lamp to our feet. And it explains and helps us to understand everything that is happening around us. So we, we thank you, Father, and we ask your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, brethren, we are up to... As I mentioned, uh, Judges uh, 15, but we'll just go back and uh, pick up Judges uh, chapter 14. In fact, I just want to go back and uh, thanks, Pastor Murray. I just want to go back and uh, pick up um, chapter 13, actually, just just again for context. Uh, we covered this last week, but in chapter 13 and verse 1, and I think this is significant. And again, we just want to repeat this as we pick up the story of uh, Samson, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. This is like just a repeating pattern that God sends these mini saviors because of his covenant with Israel, with the patriarch Israel, with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He has a, uh, an unbreakable covenant with them. Now their children keep breaking the covenant, but because God is faithful, he does not break the covenant. And, and as, I, as, as we read Judges, I think you'll probably come to the same conclusion uh, that I do, that God's faithfulness is overwhelming. He, he's overwhelming in his goodness to Israel. That I would, I would look at this and think, okay, after Judges, that's the end of the relationship with Israel. That, that you know, going forward, God picks another nation. But no, he's faithful. And so they continue to do evil. And again, we keep emphasizing this, that it's not that they're doing evil or they think they're doing evil. In fact, every man is doing what's right in his own eyes. But it's from God's perspective that they are doing evil. So they continue to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the, the Lord then delivered them. God did this. He delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. For how long? For 40 years. The Philistines are a ruthless nation, or were, oh, well, the Palestinians today, descendants, but the, the, the Philistines were a ruthless people, a warmongering. They loved war. They loved violence. And you can imagine 40 years is a long time. But I think it's significant here that 40 years, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? So that that generation that was faithless could die off, except for Joshua and Caleb. So 40 years, biblically, is a generation. And then Christ tells us in Matthew 24 that this generation, when these things start to come to pass, this generation, uh, you know, everything will come to pass before this generation uh, ceases. So if we use the biblical um, formula, a generation is 40 years. That's a long time to be under oppression. So we're seeing these things unraveling now. I'm not predicting any timeline. I'm just saying God, although he hadn't abandoned Israel, he allowed them to be persecuted, oppressed, and humiliated, and killed and slaughtered for 40 years. 
but he still hadn't forgotten them. They they feel like he's forgotten them, but he hasn't. So he he raises up this judge, uh, Samson, specifically and uniquely to release Israel from the bondage or to begin to release Israel from the bondage of the Israelites. So so 40 years is a long time, and it's a time of testing. 40 is a symbol of testing, and there's a lot of failure in that 40-year period in the wilderness, uh, anciently, but we can expect that, well, we know prophetically, uh, there will be, a, within the Church of God, the people of God with the Holy Spirit, there will be colossal failure during that 40-year period. That so much is going to happen. It's going to happen so quickly. Uh, many will fail in that, 40, well, I shouldn't say 40 years, in the generation, which I'm saying could be 40 years. And then verse 5 of chapter 13, this is now how he God moves to deliver Israel, even though he's fed up with them, even though they have been faithless, they've betrayed him in every way. In verse 5, for lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. So, you know, it's 40 years that they've been under oppression, and then God now moves to conceive this child, to, to enable uh, Manoah's wife to conceive, conceive this child, the child is going to be a Nazarite from the womb. It's going to take some time for him to grow into maturity to bring down the Philistines. But God has not forgotten Israel. Now he's to be a Nazarite unto God. He's, he's devoted unto God. He's holy unto God from the womb. So the Nazarite vow is something that any Israelite could take for a period of time. Uh, maybe they're they're going into war or they're going into some special circumstance, and so they want to separate themselves unto the Lord. Uh, they would take this vow. So the um, child is is separated wholly unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Philistines are a ruthless people, uh, but God has not forgotten His people. And so this is the process. Different nations have been oppressing Israel in this in the Promised Land. Now they're under the oppression, the cruel oppression of the Philistines. And then in verse 18, and the angel of the Lord, or the, we, we think angel, but the Hebrew is the messenger of the Lord, said unto him, Why do you ask thus after my name, seeing it is secret? And that, that word in the Hebrew means wonderful. I, I didn't cover this last week. But he's saying, my name is wonderful. And this is an indication to us that this, in fact, is Jesus Christ himself, that he is taking a personal interest in the deliverance of Israel, that he comes personally to visit Manoah's wife and to give her the instructions that this child must be holy, must be separated unto God from birth. Uh, So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel, or the, the messenger, did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. So the angel would have accepted the offering, or the messenger consumed the offering, and then we saw that it went up with the fire. Now, that word that's used in Judges thirteen eighteen for wonderful, we see the same word, or the root, in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and that us is Judah, the child is delivered unto Judah, and his name shall be called Wonderful, 
And so this is the same Hebrew root that is translated secret in Judges. Uh, and this is how we can see, more than likely, this was Jesus Christ himself. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. A couple more verses I want to pick up from last week for context. In Let me just uh, do this here. In um, verse 4 of chapter 14, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. That he, so so he, Samson has this lust. He sees this woman. He wants the woman. They don't understand. Why would he want a, a, from a woman from the uncircumcised people? He's, he's determined to have the woman. They, they just don't understand. Why can't he choose an Israelite woman? He's, there's so many of the tribes. He could choose from his own tribe or the other tribes, but no, he must have the Philistine woman. Uh, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. So God is allowing this. He's actually leveraging. So ideally, uh, Samson would have been on the straight and narrow and been this this holy priest unto the Lord, this Nazarite, uh, observing the vows, and, and God would find a way to, to deliver uh, Israel through him. But Samson was anything but faithful to his vows. So then... It doesn't matter. God is faithful to his oath. And so he's going to find a way. And so he's going to actually use this as a way to create a provocation with the Philistines. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. These are brutal, violent, vile people. And they have complete domination over Israel, and they've had so for 40 years or more. Uh, and God is God is, wants to release them from this bondage, and so he's going to find a way to create this, this, this release for them. So he goes on to say, in verse 5, Then Samson went down, and his father and his mother, to Timnath. So, so this is a, a part of the Philistine uh, area. So he went down there to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold, a young lion roared against him. So this is uh, just the, the supernatural power that he would have that even the, the most ferocious of beasts, he had this supernatural power that he could handle this. And then in verse 18, the men of the city said unto him, so, so we know the story that he when he killed the lion, um, when he went back, there were there were a, a swarm of bees inside the lion making honey, and he had some of that honey, gave some to his parents, and he made up this riddle. And then he, he posed the riddle to the Philistines during the wedding feast to see if they could solve it by so they would have seven days of feasting. The Philistines were known for their um, debauchery, for their feasting, for their alcohol consumption. They this was seven days they would take this opportunity to really go wild. But during the feast, he poses this riddle to them to say, by the end of the feast, can you solve the riddle? So, so the men of the city said unto him, on the seventh day, before the sun went down, so that's the deadline, and so before they reached the deadline, what is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. So, in other words, you cheated. So, okay, you got it, but you cheated, you didn't come about this fairly. And the Spirit of the Lord... So God is using this as an occasion now. 
the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil. So, so he was going to give them 30 uh, changes of garments. So he actually took it from the Philistines. Uh, so this is a way of enriching them. Whoever, whoever won the riddle would, or the bet would, would be enriched. But he actually went and killed these Philistines, took their clothing, and gave it to these people that solved the riddle. And gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And so he did that, but his anger was kindled. And he left the, the feast and went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. So he's, he's going into the Philistine city, and he's having a Philistine wedding. And so there's no other Israelites there. So he's going to use the Philistine people, one of them like his best man in different functions of the wedding. So we come now to chapter 15. And let me just quickly check the comments here. See hello from Christy, from Dreama, Pastor Murray, uh, Marlene from Michigan, Robert Kennedy from Montreal, Quebec, uh, Salut, <laughs> bon, Bonsoir from Quebec, and uh, then we have those on the uh, on the chat as well. I see you all there. Wonderful, wonderful to have you all here. So, um, chapter fifteen. Then it came to pass, but it came to pass within a while after, so some time has passed now, in the time of the wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. So, you know, he was angry, he was upset. Now, time has passed, and he's, okay, I'm going to go back and see my wife. And he brings a a gift for her. They're going to have a meal together. And he said, I will go in to my wife into the chamber. So we already know it's not his wife anymore. She's been given to another man. But he doesn't know that. So he's going to his wife into the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that you had utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more beautiful than her? Take her, I ask you, instead of her. So, you know, clearly you can see women are just property here. Um, You know, you've you, you wanted to marry this one, but my younger daughter is even more beautiful. Take her instead. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. I'm going to strike the Philistines. I'm going to really uh, do something significant here that's going to be horrible. But I will be justified in doing this, is what he's saying. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. So you saw him with the lion, and now we see him catch 300 foxes. This again gives us a sense of his athleticism. So clearly he's a very strong man. He's got an explosive power and uh, very fast. You know, Today we would think of Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, at least when he was in his prime. Uh, so he's got this kind of speed. Uh, where he can just go from zero to 60 instantly, and so fast he can catch these, these foxes, 300 of them. And he took firebrands, or you know, think of a stick with fire on it, and turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand between the two tails. So you can imagine how frightened these foxes are to have their tails catching fire. And, and to me, there's just a, a cruelty here, 
that if he was raised well, if he was parented well, this type of cruelty, he wouldn't have it. Uh, but I think, you know, only child, being barren for a long time, parents are older, I, I think they tended to indulge him. And he became very narcissistic. And, and, and I think these narcissists, they don't have empathy. They can't really feel the pain of others. Everything's just about them. And so to do this to these animals, I think there's an element of cruelty here. Nevertheless, there's an element of athleticism that enables him to do this. And so he put a firebrand between the midst of the tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, so, th- so 150 uh, firebrands, 300 foxes, one between the tails, uh, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up the, the shocks or the stacks uh, and also the standing corn. So it's like you look at a farm and they're going through and they're preparing. There's the wheat harvest or they're gathering the, the, the harvest and uh, they will put it in stacks. And then there's others that they've actually stored away. So he's sending the, the foxes into not just the, the, the stacks, but also that which is stored. This is quite a blow. This is quite a blow, an economic blow uh, with the vineyards and the olives. So the Philistines are just stunned. This is, this is unbelievable. The Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. So they understood what was going on. They were able to answer right away. This is who did it, and this is, and this is why he did it. And the Philistines came up, and notice this, and burnt her and her father with fire. These guys don't joke. There's a, there's a cruelty, there's a, a, a violent culture that the, the Israelites were to go in and wipe these people out to replace them completely, remove them from the promised land, but they didn't. Instead, they coexisted with them. And, you know, it's interesting that they, here in verse um, 6 of chapter 15, they take the woman and her father and they burn them with fire. Now, in chapter 14, that's what she was trying to escape. It came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. So, you know, she tried to escape that fate. In the end, that's what happened to her anyway. So that's interesting. But what I also find interesting is, remember in chapter 12, the the conflict with the Ephraimites and Jephthah? And what did the Ephraimites threaten Jephthah with? A fellow Israelite, we will burn your house upon you with fire. I, I think this is clear evidence that Israel was being influenced by the culture of the people around them. And instead of wiping these people out, they coexisted with them and started to pick up their practices. So that brutality that we see amongst the Philistines, we now see it among the Israelites as well. Back to chapter 15, verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though you have done this, what, what they have done now with his wife and the father's household and burned them with fire, though you have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. So, so now you, we see Samson, he, he's having some sense of justice, 
that he's going to do something to avenge himself of what everything they've done to him with the woman that he married and, and ultimately burning her at her household, her, her father's house with fire. So he's going to take uh, vengeance on this, but there's some kind of, it's measured. There's something he's going to do. And after he's done it, then he will stop. So it's not, it's not limited wrath or unlimited wrath. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. This is incredible. So he's just really, so there, even though it's somehow limited, uh, it's significant. So he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lahi. And, and so this is, this is a military move. So, so they make this military move into, into the territory of Judah. And uh, then the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? Like this is very concerning. You start to see these ruthless people uh, pitching tent, positioning themselves uh, in your town. And they like they need to know. Okay, what's happening? What did we do? We're, we we tried to do everything that you said. You know, we know you have dominion over us. Uh, what's going on here? And the men of Judah said, "Why have you come up against us?" And they answered, "To bind Samson have we come up, to do to him as he has done to us." So it's interesting if you you know you need to which side of the story are you listening to? So Samson feels like. He needs to do to them as they've done to him. Now they feel like they need to do to him as he's done to them. So each side is justifying themselves. So they, they want to take care of this Samson character for what he's done to them. Then, and he's done quite a bit, you know, the economic blow. And then with the jawbone, how many men of uh, the Philistines he slaughtered. Now, so they surround Judah or they move in to take Judah as if they're a military move on Judah. Then they explain why. Listen to this. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Etam, so they knew where he was, and said to Samson, Know you not that the Philistines are rulers over us? Are you some kind of troublemaker? Don't you know that we are in submission? to the Philistines and we have accepted this and we don't want any trouble. What have you done? You know, we, we are, we are um, slaves to the Philistines. I know, I know we were slaves in Egypt and, we, and God delivered us from Egypt. Well, now we're slaves in the promised land to the Philistines. Don't you understand that? Are you stupid? Don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? And that, and what is this that you have done to us? Like, you have really jeopardized our lives here. You, you've put our lives in peril. Are you, are you a troublemaker? Now, what's interesting is this is 3,000 men who've all accepted this fate of being slaves to the Philistines. It's not, it's not three men. It's 3,000 that are saying, we are the children of Israel. This is the land that God promised us. And we have totally accepted the reality that we are slaves to the Philistines. 
the uncircumcised. And so rather than the 3,000 men going to Samson and saying, what is this? tell us about this great slaughter that you've had over the Philistines. And, and is God, if God is with you, maybe if we join forces with you, we can eliminate these people altogether. No, that's not how they think. They, they don't have this overcoming mentality. They, they just have this subserve. They've been just made docile. And he said unto them, as they done, did unto me, so have I done unto them. So they're saying, we have to do unto him as he did unto us. He's saying, I did unto them as they did unto me. So now, let's just sort of bring this up to date for us. What can we learn from, from this story of Samson so far? We know that, excuse me a second. We know that in Matthew 10, Jesus Christ, this is red letter, this is Christ's own words. He says, And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. So this is prophecy ahead of us that just as these 3,000 men, rather than realize Samson is their brother, and there's no way they're going to give up their brother to the Philistines, they would rather die free men than live as slaves. No, they'd rather live as slaves and give up their brother. And that's what we're going to see ahead of us, that the covenant will be broken. There will be covenant breakers, and the brother will deliver up the brother to death. Why? Will we see from Judah? They see the Philistines moving into military formation, and they're terrified. They're like, what, what, what have we done? We didn't do anything wrong. We've been very obedient. Well, we've come to get Samson. Oh, okay, well, no problem. We'll get Samson for you. So this is why the brother will deliver. Once, once you know, my life is at risk, I'll sell out everybody. If I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, once my life is at risk, I'll sell out everybody to keep myself alive, even if it means living as a slave. That's how the carnal mind thinks. God keeps reminding us, I'm commanding you to love one another. Love one another. And he that shall endure unto the end, meaning retaining the Holy Spirit and loving one another till the end, the same shall be saved. So the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children will even rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. So there's some kind of ideology that is going to creep into their minds that's going to make this seem acceptable. But it's all, I believe, going to be based on the fear that we see in Judah, in Judges. And then in verse 22, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. So we have to make sure that we got Christ's words abide in us to the end. And notice in Matthew 24 now, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So this is the counterpart to Matthew 10, Luke 21, here again in Matthew 24, this whole uh, state of affairs in the end time. And, you know, part of it, what's going to lead, part of, I think there's two dimensions to this. One dimension is fear, that it will be a frightful time. It will be a perilous time. And people will be very fearful, including church members. The other piece of it is ideology, false ideas, philosophy. And I think that 
we don't understand how important ideas are. Think of ideas, I want, I want you to think of ideas in two ways. One way is that ideas are viruses and they're contagious. So someone hears an idea and they, they, they think it's true and they accept it and then they spread it. And, and then, you know, the, the saying, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. Ideas possess people. So ideas are viruses, they're contagious. The other way that I want you to think about ideas or the other dimension of ideas is I believe that ideas are gateways to the spirit world. Let me explain what I mean. The gospel is an idea. The kingdom of God is an idea. We preach the gospel. Somebody hears the gospel. They're moved by the gospel. They investigate the gospel. They search the scriptures. And they come to be convinced that the gospel is true. They come to the point then of being baptized. But in that process, beginning with the idea of the gospel, they give themselves over to God. And now, because of that idea, they are now under the influence of the spirit world. The Holy Spirit now has influence over them and in their mind, but the door that opened was an idea. So ideas are gateways to the spirit world. So we see how it works with the gospel and the Holy Spirit. I'm proposing that the exact same thing happens in the demonic world. That ideas are viruses. They catch on. They're contagious. And so somebody hears an idea. And it's subtle. It's crafty. But they fall for the idea. That's why it says many false teachers shall rise. They'll be preaching false ideas. And they'll deceive many. And so with those false ideas now, there, there, you know, think of these ideas as, um, so the gospel is ultimately uh, an, a, 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 an attitude of love, agape. Ultimately, the gospel leads to this attitude of agape. Every other idea will ultimately lead to an attitude of hatred, that many will betray, hatred, and envy. What did, what did Solomon say? When somebody dies, their love, their hatred, and their envy dies with them. So on the one hand, we have love. On the other, we have hatred and envy. So these ideas, think of our culture today. We talk about cancel culture, that people cancel you, they deperson you. That's an idea. That's an idea of hatred. And so as you adopt these ideas and with them, the attitudes that go with them, that opens you up or opens one up to the spirit world, the demonic world. And so we're seeing now incredible violence. It's, it's like a, a contagion. That How is everybody getting swept up in this and doing things that were unimaginable 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Now it's commonplace. You see these, this mob mentality because ideas have gotten into people's heads and those ideas have opened them up to demonic influence. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, the Spirit speaks openly. The Spirit is very, very clear about this. There should be no confusion and therefore no excuse. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. The faith is an idea. The faith is an idea. 
and they will give up that idea. They will give up that concept, that, that world view, and they'll adopt something else that false teachers are pre- preaching. And in doing that, they will give heed to seducing spirits, and notice this, doctrines or ideas of devils, teachings from devils. So we have to be very, this is why we as elders fight so hard to withstand and repel false ideas. Because it's not just about ideas. It's about brethren opening opening themselves up to demonic influence. And we cannot stand by and watch that happen. When we all ultimately stand before Jesus Christ alone, with nobody else, just us and Christ, these people will have no excuse because the Spirit speaks expressly and we have warned vehemently, beware of these false ideas. So with these false teachers and false ideas, one opens themselves up to doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. And so what we're seeing in the world today will even spill uh, spill over into the church. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, notice this, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When your conscience is seared, you're capable of anything. And so we can betray brother, we can have brother put to death, we can kill the child, we can kill the parent, we can, we can be horrible people. But these ideas have seared our conscience. If the idea of the God family stays in our mind, and we retain that love until the end, we can never do these things. But if we give heed to seducing, seducing spirits, the ideas sound good. Oh, they sound so lovely. There's good rhetoric. They're seducing. But then it opens us up to the demonic world, and we give heed to it, and then our conscience is seared. In 1 John 4, the Apostle John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Come on. Have a bit of spiritual common sense. It's going to sound good. Even though it's men talking, but it's doctrines of demons. So the idea is, we must know what is the source of this idea. And Christ says, you shall know them by their fruit. What fruit do they have? So please, brethren, my beloved, beloved brethren, don't believe every spirit. Don't be gullible. Don't be naive. Have a bit of discernment. Instead, test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because as Christ told us, Christ prophesied, and here we are, many false prophets or false teachers are gone out into the world. There's a lot of false ideas being taught. And as those ideas get accepted, like a contagion, they spread, and as more and more people take them on, society becomes more and more demonic, darker. And so we're watching what's, what's happening to our civilization. We, we thought we were civilized people. We thought we were going forward and advancing. Now we seem to be going backwards. So the demonic world seems to have, clearly, a hold on society. But it must not have a hold on God's people. Hereby, this is how. This is how we know. Hereby know you, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So we need to look at these doctrines and we need to see, do they promote the truth of Jesus Christ 
as the only begotten Son of God, the, the Almighty? And do they accept and promote that? Or are they teaching a doctrine that destroys the concept of family? Father, son, nuclear family. Are they teaching an idea to destroy that? Ah, doctrine of demons. This is how we know. The Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God. So there's a family structure when Christ comes that he portrays. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. There's going to be a lot of false teachers. This is the acid test. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. And so, if you know brethren that are being swept up in false ideas, we need to bring their attention to this scripture. Hey, come on. Is, is, Is this teaching exalting Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, as God Almighty, as the family, or is it the opposite? Is it trying to destroy that idea? Because that idea is the only idea that can save mankind. There's nothing else. So any idea that runs counter to this is of the devil. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. So anybody who would say they're going to destroy the nuclear family, which is, a, which is how the, part of how the gospel is preached, God gives us the nuclear family so that we can understand what he's doing on his dimension. So if somebody is, has a doctrine, an idea that's contagious, that is setting out to destroy the nuclear family, this is spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come. And even now, already, is it in the world. Back to Judges. So these things in Judges are not just you know, passive history that you know, one day when you have spare time, why don't you give it a read? And it'll be interesting. And all those stupid Israelites, they're just so dumb. No. Human beings are the same. And the covenant people of God, without the Holy Spirit, are the same. And the love of many will wax cold. So as the Holy Spirit leaves brethren, we will expect to see behavior not dissimilar to what we see here in Judges. Verse 12. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind you that we may deliver you into the hand of our enemy, the Philistines, the uncircumcised. I know you're our brother. We're we're here to betray you and to turn you over to the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. So Samson's quite willing to go, even though they're going to betray him. He's quite willing to go as long as they don't kill him. So, yeah, go ahead and deliver me into the Philistines. I've, I've got a great track record with, the, with defeating the Philistines. So it's actually an opportunity for me. So just swear that you won't betray me, you won't kill me yourself. And they spoke unto him saying, no, but we will bind you fast. We're going to bind you really tightly because we don't want any trouble. You, you are a troublemaker and we don't want any trouble. You know, we don't, you know, this is a, how, how slave mentality works. Even if you think of the North American uh, slavery. And here in North America, in, in America, um, the slaves, you had the sort of the house Negroes and the field Negroes. And the house Negroes were like, we don't want any trouble. They want any trouble. Just we, we accept our lot. Whereas those in the field were always trying to fight to find a way to, to, to break the bondage. Well, that's just the mentality of slaves. So we don't want any trouble. So we're going to bind you tightly. 
and deliver you into their hand because we don't want any trouble. But surely we won't kill you. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. So they bind him. Basically, they've arrested him, bound him with new cords so that they'll be really strong, and they bring him. And when he came unto Lachi, the Philistines shouted against him. So they're excited. They see him. He's bound. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. God loves his people. He is in covenant love with his people. And he's going to deliver them from the oppression of the Philistines, even though they don't deserve it. But because of his oath, he will not break his oath. The Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. And his bands loosed from off his hands. So, so they thought they, you know, they had the upper hand. They were really excited. And he found a new jawbone of a donkey. So you think of the jawbone of a donkey. So he could, it has a handle and then the hook part. And put forth his hand and took it. And slew a thousand men therewith. So that is quite something. So they're all ready to take him. He's bound. They're, they're excited. They're shouting. And he finds this jawbone. And, and you know, throughout, <laughs> it's amazing how when we trace the, uh, the history here in Judges, there's always these weapons that are just unlikely weapons. Israel's under oppression. They don't have uh, strong military weapons. But there's some, you know, it's a tent peg. It's a, a special knife. It's a, you know, a jawbone. Uh, God is always there. And it doesn't matter what the enemy has, what military might the enemy has when Israel has God. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of a donkey, have I slain a thousand men. That is something else. A thousand men in military formation, ready. and He slays a thousand of them. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, so he declares his victory. He cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramath Lachi. So Lachi meaning the, the jaw, jawbone, and Ramath meaning hill. So the hill of the jawbone. And so that's his victory. He's quite proud of this. This is the name he gives this place. And he was really thirsty. He was sore thirst. So that was a lot of athleticism, a lot of work in the heat. Uh, he's really dehydrated now. And called on the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance into the hand of your servant. So that statement right there, and, and why he wasn't fearful about going into the hands of the Philistines, he knew from birth that he was set aside for this purpose. And in taking down the lion, in all of these um, defeats that the Philistines suffered up to now, he knew that he had special powers over the Philistines. Uh, so, And he knew that that power came from God. And he acknowledges it here. You have given this great deliverance into the hand of your servant. And now, shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So, this just doesn't make sense to him, so he, plead, he uh, appeals to God. But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. So he had thrown the jaw down, now he can pick it up again and see water come out of it. And when he had drunk, you know, it's a perfect weapon, but it probably is like a ladle now uh, to drink from. 
And when he had drunk, his spirit came again. And that, that basically that means he was revived. So um, where he was dying and just really dehydrated, this, this water now revived him. And he revived. Therefore, he called the name thereof Enachor, Enachor, uh, which is in Lehi unto this day. So that just means, um, you know, the, the calling out, the, the one who called out and, and got a response. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So, again, this word judge, let's be careful. This doesn't mean like a Supreme Court judge. And the people are coming to him and saying, what do you think about this? And my neighbor did this. And what do you think? And what's your judgment? It's not that. It's he's a savior of Israel. So for, for, the day, in the, for 20 years now, he is constantly overcoming the Philistines and delivering the Philistines. He's a mini savior. He's delivering the, the, sorry, delivering the Israel from the Philistines. That's what it means that he judged. Then went Samson to Gaza. So same Gaza to, the, to this day. Uh, this was Philistine territory. So he went to Gaza and saw there a harlot. This is the man who just said, God, I know that you, you delivered them into my hand. Uh, I don't want to die from thirst and then they can take me over. You've answered my prayers. So this man knows that God is the one enabling him and yet he is so impulsive. He is so lustful. He's just so undisciplined in his appetites. And again, I think this has something to do with the way he was parented. That he's so narcissistic, he's so impulsive, he has no impulse control. Uh, just whatever he wants, he wants. And Go and get me that woman and I want this now. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot, a prostitute, and went in, to, went in unto her. Nothing to him, even though God just delivered, gave him this mighty deliverance. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here. And they surrounded him. And Gazites are just Philistines, just in this particular city. And they surrounded him and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city. And were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. So they know now where he is. They finally know his whereabouts. Uh, at some point, he has to come out of the city. So they'll just wait till the morning. And when the gates, so the gates are closed all night. Uh, but when the gates open in the morning, uh, and when he tries to, they're going to put him to death. And Samson, he didn't stay till the morning, he lay till midnight. And arose at midnight. So he had his relations, he falls asleep, then he wakes up at midnight. And then he arose at midnight. And he doesn't have to wait for the, the city gates, these big iron gates. And the Philistines actually were very good with iron, and that made them very advanced as a civilization. He doesn't have to wait for them to unlock the gates. He took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them. Bar and all. This man is powerful. He is just raw power. And he knows that it's because of God that he has this power. And put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. And it came to pass afterwards, so again, this is the man's character, and, and we, we should be really, really clear here by now, if we haven't gotten it by now, is God does not need perfect people to deliver his people. The judges are not of perfect character. I mean, Othniel it was the best. And then since Othniel, it's just been going downhill. 
And Samson is horrible. He has horrible character. And today, you know, people will say, oh, you know, the, the president is a womanizer, therefore God can't use him. Uh, no, no womanizer like Samson. This is a real womanizer. The point is not Samson's character. The point is God's covenant with his people and his mercy upon his people. And he will use imperfect judges to deliver his people. It came to pass afterwards that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. And you never hear Samson loving an Israelite woman. Uh, he's just always going after these, these foreign women. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lies and by what means we may prevail against him. So the Philistines, as pagans worshipping idols, they are open to demonic influence. And what we see here is Satan's desire to, to withstand God's intervention. And so he wants to figure out how, by what means, may we prevail against him. And I think in our walk as Christians, with the Holy Spirit, we can imagine that Satan is at, Satan's demons are asking the very same thing of us. By what means can they prevail against us? And each one of us has our different Achilles heel. And they're watching, and they've been studying from birth. And so we need to be very, very careful. And Samson's mistake was, was being unequally yoked. And we need to be very, very careful, especially now. At the time that we're heading into, we cannot put ourselves in position where we are unequally yoked. And, and we're, we're married to someone who has a completely different set of priorities than we do. Because the world is going to change. It's going to change very rapidly. And Satan and his demons are constantly asking, by what means may they prevail against us? So entice him and see wherein his great strength lies, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give you, every one of us, 1,100 pieces of silver. This is, this is this woman that he loves, that he's intimate with, and she can be bought off for money. And Delilah said to Samson, so it's like, okay, no problem, I'd love that. So how much is she getting? She's getting 1,100 pieces of silver from every one of them. That's quite a lot of money. No problem, I'll definitely do this. It's not like she's saying, look, we actually have affection for this man. I don't want to harm him. No, she's happy to sell him out. And Delilah said to Samson, tell me, I pray you, wherein your great strength lies and with what you might be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, and so this is obviously, you know, they're in an intimate uh, moment, and she's just, oh, lying on his shoulder, and no, tell me this. And Samson said unto her, if they bind me with seven green widths that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. And then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green widths, which had not been dried. And she binds him with them, I mean, uh, hey, hello, Samson. There's a clue that she does not have your best interest at heart. You know, Proverbs 31 says, who can find a virtuous woman? 
Her price is far above rubies. You can't buy her off. She will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. Men, young men, choose wisely. Young ladies, choose wisely. That, that, that bond, and again, this is a doctrine that it's a, when you accept the gospel and you understand the family of God and you understand that the marriage pictures Jesus Christ and his bride. That's an idea. And that idea opens us up to influence of the Holy Spirit in our marriage. So she betrays him. And he should see very clearly, this woman means me no good. But obviously she's very skilled in her arts and her seduction. As a Philistine woman she would be. And he's just enraptured by this. Now, there were men lying in wait, listen to this, abiding with her in the chamber. This is how demons work. Abiding with her in the chamber. This is a major betrayal. She's supposed to be intimate with this man. And she's got men in the chamber waiting, lying in wait. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he broke the withs as a thread of tow is broken when it touched the fire. So his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I beg you, wherewith you might be bound. So, and again, she's got some kind of influence over him. I mean, we're just reading the highlights here, but they actually have a relationship. And there are certain moments when she chooses to, to have this conversation with him. Like, come on, tell me this. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that were never occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took, I mean, come on now, Samson, please. I mean, red flower, you should, you should see what's happening. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And there were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber. Imagine that. They're being intimate and, and they're waiting. And he broke them off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Up to now you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Tell me wherewith you might be bound. And he said unto her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web, so it's interesting that his hair grew into set. So he was a Nazarite from birth. So however the locks clumped together, there were seven of them. If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web, and she fastened it with the pin, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep, and went away with the pin of the beam, and with the web. And she said unto him, listen to what she says unto him. And this is how you know they actually have an intimate relationship. And she said unto him, how can you say I love you? So this fool, this idiot, this spiritual imbecile, is with this Philistine woman who clearly doesn't love him, who clearly is willing to betray him. But he's, oh, I love you, I love you so much. Uh, you're just, you, you mean the world to me. You're, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> and she's saying, how can you say that? Okay, so that's, you're saying you love me when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times, and you've not told me wherein your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. Why is she pressing him daily? Because that's a lot of money. 
The scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so today, if we want to understand the evil that's taking place in the world, we just need to understand, follow the money. People can be bought off. She was bought off. And she pressed him daily. That's a lot of money. She pressed him daily. She doesn't care that he's going to be tortured and put to death. She pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed. He couldn't leave her. She had some kind of a hold on him. Whatever that hold was, he's like, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He's held in place. She's like, you got to tell me, you got to tell me, you got to tell me. And maybe just at these special moments, and please tell me. And she's whining and she's pressing and she's throwing in anger and she's everything. You got to tell me. That his soul was vexed unto death. Then, so he finally just, he told her all his heart. He should have fled. But she had some kind of hold on him. And, you know, we've got to be careful when we, we allow ourselves to be in these situations where we're constantly exposed to, 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 to negative influence. Then he told her all his heart and said unto her, There has not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. So he understood the oath very well and very clearly. And although he has broken every aspect of the oath, this is one aspect of the oath that he hasn't broken, the hair. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, which that means the oath, that's what you do when you shave, the oath is now ended. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So these men, these Philistines are strong men. He'll be a you know, typical strong man but not this supernatural strength where he could slay a thousand men with a jawbone. And when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, this is different now. Like she can see, okay, I got him. Like he is really, this is it. He's being transparent. So now that she see, like he is just totally vulnerable now. Does she say like, wow, you really do love me. And, and I love you. <laughs> And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines. She called the leaders. Okay, I've got him now. Remember the money you promised? Saying, come up immediately, for he has shown me all his heart. So this idiot, this spiritual imbecile, doesn't see that there's no relationship here. He thinks there is. She despises him. She looks at him and he's a horror. She's some kind of beast to her. But he thinks they're in love. And he can show her this and, it's, and everything will be fine. The lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hands. So they, okay, we've got it. Here, here's the money. We, we see that this is the real deal. And she made him sleep upon her knees. Now, how did she do that? Well, he's telling her, I love you, I love you, I love you. And she's telling him, oh, I love you, I love you too, Sam. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And so she gets him to sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. So she's, she's a clever woman. She knows how to use her feminine wiles, exhaust him, get him to go into a nice deep sleep, and everything's just perfect now. She's using her head. He has no idea what's going on. He thinks they're in love. So now this man is able to shave the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him. She despised him. 
All of that intimacy, she hated it. She hated him. But there's money involved. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, No problem. Here come the Philistines. I I, I have broken every vow of this Nazarite vow. And God has always been good to me. So no problem. I will go out as at other times before. And again, you know, we have brethren who play with sin. There are people in the church committing adultery. People in the church committing fornication. And God doesn't act right away. People in the church lying, stealing. God doesn't act right away. And therefore we think we get away with it. And then our heart grows more confident. And we think that, oh, you know, we can still come to services and everything's fine. But there's a time when it's not fine anymore. God allows, gives, you know, gives space for repentance. But at some point, God's patience runs out. But here, the vow ends when you cut the locks off. And so now the vow is over. He doesn't realize this is different now. I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. But he didn't know that the Lord was departed from him. Didn't know that. And we have to be careful. You know, what does John 15 say? Christ says in John 15 that he's the true vine. And his father is the husbandman. And every uh, branch that does not bear fruit, the father takes away. And then in Matthew 24, he says, The love of many shall wax cold. And brother shall betray brother. So as brother is influenced by false teachings and false ideas and false doctrines and opens themselves up to seducing spirits, they begin to lose the Holy Spirit, which is what John 15 is saying, that the Father will remove them. So they can still be in the assembly. They're still coming to services. They're still keeping the Sabbath. But the Holy Spirit is being taken from them. And as the Holy Spirit is being taken from them, God is removing them and cutting them off from the true vine. But they don't realize God is not with them anymore because it's a gradual process. And so we need to be so careful, brethren, and cling to Christ and abide in him and let let his words abide in us. Don't accept the doctrines of demons. Don't, 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 you know, Uh, cozy up to seducing spirits the way Samson cozied up to a seducing spirit. He didn't know that the Lord was departed from him. Brethren will not know that the Father has removed them. They'll just find that, or we we will observe. They have attitudes of hatred. They're easily provoked. They're not easily entreated. This is the Father removing them from the true vine. But the Philistines took him, and what did they do? They put out his eyes. His eyes that got him into so much trouble. His eyes that he just, everything he lusted for, he went after. And that's the first thing they did. So that's sort of just punishment. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. So he's just a slave now pushing this mill, grinding the wheat. Howbeit, the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. 
So it says if he's going back into this, because he's was set to be a Nazarite, so he's going back into the vow. And the Lord of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So imagine that. Samson actually enabled these uncircumcised to praise their God, Dagon. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God, Dagon. So the Philistines, they, are, they worshipped Ashtoreth, they worshipped Baalzebub, they also worshipped Dagon. So here they are. Our God, Dagon, has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. So they were just so, so happy. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, again, they were very good at feasting, even though they were violent, when, when they play, uh, they play. When their hearts were merry, they said, call for Samson, that he may make us sport. So they haven't seen him for a while, he's grinding, uh, go, and, go and retrieve him, and we can just laugh at him. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Allow me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house stands, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women. Big party, big festival, they're really having a great time. And all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld Samson, that beheld while Samson made sport. So they're mocking him, they're getting him to do things. Um, 3,000 men and women on the roof, I believe there's a lot of people inside the house as well. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God. So he's had a lot of time to think. He's had a lot of time to reflect. He's been looking back on a very failed life. But now he's at the end of his life. And he called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray you, I beg you, and strengthen me, I beg you, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. So he's not really thinking of Israel as a whole. He's again just very narcissistic and he wants to, he wants to take his vengeance out on the Philistines. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. So he knows what he's going to do. He understands the, sort of the architecture of the building. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And so, you know, he's not afraid of death now. He wants to do this last act. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And again, that was a great act of faith. He prayed to God. He asked God to give him that faith. He knew he was going to die but he, he, he did this out of faith. And so for that, we see in Hebrews 11, he's mentioned in the hall of faith. And what, more sh- and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, ordained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So Samson, through faith, had this great act at the end of his life. But clearly, I hope it's clear, he was no perfect judge. That's not the point. 
The point is, God raised him up to do a work. And through faith, he did that work. And then the chapter ends. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he had judged Israel 20 years. So that's the career of Samson. Uh, Now we're moving into the final phase of the history of Israel in the Judges. God willing, we'll pick that up in chapter 17. And just a warning, um, it's ugly. It's ugly. Uh, As we go forward, especially as we get into chapter 19, viewer discretion is certainly advised. So you might want to think about, you know, read ahead and see whether or not, you know, if you're listening with your family or whatever, uh, it's it's pretty bizarre and uh, unfortunate and, and very detailed. So we'll end there, brethren. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, What a great God we serve. Jesus Christ is Lord. God bless.